Hi everyone and welcome back to Reload Podcast. My name's Lee Maxwell and as usual I'm joined by... Nigel Lamont. And Connor McCann. So this is episode number 33. Previous episode obviously was 32, which was uh, a bit of a mixed bag, I think it's fair to say. And we went off on a few tangents, I think. Yeah, we might have went off the rails a wee bit. Tray waffles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So hopefully this week will be a little bit more structured, but who knows really. Um, Connor has a topic for us later on uh, about his most hated uh, thing, I think, which is very strange. Yeah, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. Mm. And uh, we'll have our usual news, YouTube, a few questions and a bit of random chat, I'm sure, in between. Absolutely. Let's so we'll it. kick off with what's new. So Nigel, what's up with you? Okay, I've been talking about the last while about the Mark 60 Ti I bought that needed an instant transplant and as I mentioned previously, I got it running and all the rest of it. So I had it up for sale on Facebook and my own uh, Facebook and Facebook Marketplace. Don't think I had it in Gumtree. And then you better not usually. I was, was going to say yeah, probably for the best. Yeah. Tom Kennedy made a comment on it or some <laughs> smart <laughs> smart banter. Um, yeah. So then I decided right need to get try and get this sold. Previously, when I had difficulty getting a car sold, I put it in auto trader. So why not? Let's go for it. And then the phone call started from England. So Auto Trader worked? Absolutely. I got phone calls flat out, but they're all in England. And mm. for some reason, I don't know why, whether well, it's a new system or Auto Trader, it just lists miles away. It doesn't give location. Oh, right, fair enough. So by about the 20th phone call, I started the conversation with, I'm in Belfast. By the way. <laughs> because after talking for five minutes and then you say, where are you? You go Belfast and they go, oh, right. It's a bit far away. The and some of them don't even comment. They just hang up the phone, go click. Yeah, the terrorist accent wouldn't give that away running. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. No, absolutely. I've been like Auto Trader's always been like that because I always used to get listings for cars in Scotland and stuff because it's so close as yeah. the crow flies. Yeah. But yeah. obviously, there's a big bit of water in between. Like there's points in Scotland, even from where we are inland, is probably only 40, 50 miles away. Yeah. But you know, it's it's coming up in the listing. Yeah. So it was worth spending the money on them there was a few few back and forth one of the guys was actually he was pricing fights and all so he says but then I got tagged on a Facebook post or something a boy messaged about it and then another fellow messaged about it he then got the number off me phoned me back and forth he was from Dublin um, sent me a few more pictures video deal was done and then we had to get sort of logistics of it because of yo lockdown yeah and I phoned about recovery friend. He wasn't prepared to go down because they're getting terrible hassle going down over the border. But the fellow from Dublin bought it, got a recovery guy to come up and lift it. And it's away. Happy days. And uh, yeah, I regret it because I drove it a few times and I, it was a tight, tight motor. Like I, I liked it. Well, I think we talked, I think we were texting one night and you'd say that, that if you had nothing else and you I had was, to keep it, it would be. I was ready to put Laura on the insurance on it. Yeah. I'd say Laura probably would have enjoyed driving it too. Yeah. But. It was DSG, wasn't it? DSG, it was fully spec, front and rear parking sensors, heated seats. It had all the toys, multi-function steering wheel. I forget what it was missing to make a top, top spec. Aye, but, but it wasn't much. It wasn't far off it, like. Mm. Um, so, yeah, new money buys new goods. So be interesting to see what appears. Probably nothing on me. <laughs> but, no, probably something knowing you. No, that's true. <laughs> So the money's just looking at me at the bank account going, hello, Nigel. Hello. <laughs> Spend me on wheels. Hello, well, actually, the last thing you need is wheels. Yeah, but I would like a set of 17s for the 
Edition one, but uh, we'll see. Paint the Mark one. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> New ramp, whatever. Oh yes, that would be good. What uh, you've not the Mark one then as well? Yeah, um, I think I mentioned the ordering of parts the last time. Yes, well through Autodoc. Yeah, which got a massive response. I think we need commission from Autodoc because we, we had several people sharing screenshots or messages going, "Thanks very much for the heads up." There was one fellow in particular and he ordered £600 of parts saying, I can't believe I didn't know about this site before. <laughs> it's ridiculous like how cheap the stuff is on it. Yeah, and it's good parts, not out of crap. Now, as we've explained in the previous episode, there is a lead time. Yeah. But mine arrived in eight days. Yeah, you can't be bad at So that. if you're not in a hurry. Yeah, if it's for something not reactionary, but if you've planned something, it's definitely the way to go. Yeah. Um, It's... And like everything arrives well packaged, you know, it's not oh, beat it's, to death or the it's packaging good. is fantastic. Yeah, but a bit of overkill with the you know, packaging and stuff, but it's good gear. Yeah. No, the other thing I noticed about it too is that, or what I didn't realize was that so many people didn't know about it mm-hmm. because it's not just for Volkswagens, it's for everything. Yeah. They cover all cars. No, and right down to like brake rebuild stuff, you know, the Vivering at local motor factors wouldn't really have. That's, and yes, motor factors will help you out and they'll do their bit but it's it's hard to when you when they're not supplying the parts it's hard to look past it like isn't it and i think it's sometimes depends who you get behind the counter in other yes. parts whether yeah. they're prepared to look yeah and that goes even from your local independent right yeah. up through to mm-hmm. uh, the bigger like chain stuff because you walk in the chain ones get a bad name it's a bit like halfords too that you know you have one bad experience in one shop because of one dickhead behind the counter yeah. and then you kind of brand that as everywhere as they got but they're not you get somebody that's dedicated on it and does their job properly it's good yeah so the parts arrived uh, just what I ordered no problems with fitment and all the rest of it but uh, I decided to send some stuff out to get powder coated you're looking at the engine bay and just going right I'm putting a shiny new radiator in I sent the cowling off uh, rocker cover the time belt cover a few wee brackets and I took them down to powder tech do you know the fellow yeah he's done some work for us before I have to say, first class job. It's uh, definitely finished up well now. Yeah. Um, now you're looking at other parts of the engine bay going, hmm, should I do this, should I do that? So I have to just pull the pull That's the, the problem. Off. When yeah. you either polish where anything start, or clean or up anything and then everything else looks shit beside it and then I remember doing you're that. down the rabbit hole. <laughs> we done a time belt and head gasket in my Mark three years ago and it was just a daily driver at the time and I says, well, sure, we'll paint the rocker cover on the head, you know, we'll have it off and you put it back on you just look at everything else around it going... It sticks out. Though. Yeah. <laughs> It's, <laughs> you shouldn't have touched it. Yeah. You want to dirty everything back up again? No, I think I'll just, uh, there's a few wee bits of bobs I could tidy up, but I just have to stop somewhere, like, unless. Yeah, unless you're going to go full concourse on it. They were particularly bad parts that really looked terrible in Japan, and that's just, it's just give it a wee lease of new life, so. Yeah. And I have to say, it's great working on old cars again, and you forget how easy it is to work at, and accessible, fun I just and yet, how hard at the same time because everything's rusted and has been in there for thirty years. <laughs> well, I I must have got lucky, but you're good, were you? <laughs> yeah, I was good. No, so That's you're you're right. Yeah, the, there's definitely a combination of how the simple things are to work out and how to actually do it. But then you have the trade off of this thing has been on the road for forty five years. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, after forty five years, I couldn't see me being in much good shape either. <laughs> The Mark ones are well, probably I'm, better. I'm at 43 years. And my legs are gone. Yeah, your legs are gone. <laughs> yeah, I had an incident last weekend on the oh, me, myself and Robin from Studio 10. We hired out e-bikes. 
Were they e-bikes? I thought it was your own bike. Oh, you don't know that, no? No. So, I yeah, thought so. you were... <laughs> no. That, that's even funnier. I would have cried. I would have cried if I came off my oh, own bike. Are these e-bikes as in like e-downhill bikes? Oh, proper. They, well, we, really... we asked the fella, it was Castle Island Trails. I recommend anybody do it. It's such good fun. They're top of the range cube electric bikes. I thought these were your bikes. That's a good one. No. Uh, it's 50 quid for three and a half hours just to put it out there. But... The way you look at it, these bikes are £4,200 new. There's no deposit. <laughs> You're not going to buy a £4,200 bike. So no. it's like a wee treat every so often. Yeah. You know, but for extreme trails, like there's black trails at Castlewell, I've just realised I've a completely off tangent here from Mark 1 Golf. I'm, I'm intrigued. Fire on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we hired them out. And absolutely awesome. And you can get twice as much done on an e-bike. You might get called... Like, we were going past these three hardcore mountain bike guys with all the gear, and they made this comment, uh, clear the way, boys, the motorbikes are coming through. That's what I was going to ask. Are they essentially like an electric motorbike? Going up the hill, it's just like somebody's got their hand on your back. Is there a thumb throttle or a twist, or is it assisted pedaling? There's three stages of the motor. You can have it at off, medium, and then turbo. Uh-huh. And as you're pedaling, it assists. Ah. And you're just like... That's like a, a it's like walking on the moving walkway at the airport you yeah. get like a boost yeah, <laughs> like, like in Mario Kart <laughs> it's the funniest feeling at the start but no but before previously in the trails you run out for an hour and a half and be absolutely scrap mm-hmm. now you go out for three and a half hours and you're sort of scrap but, but you've, you've done twice the distance and had more fun in your morning um, are they easy but, to stay on well that's where the whole thing came down <laughs> then we're talking about old, old age uh the very last run of the day. Of course. Just, you know, you got a bit of confidence and then bikes are so well planted. They mm-hmm. just give you this extra confidence and I clipped a rock and went head over shit. I was a passenger basically in the middle of the air. Robin was behind me and watched it all happen and at one point I nearly threw up. <laughs> stroke pass out. <laughs> with the pain, I hit my hip, my leg and my knee basically removed the front of the, the kneecap skin <sighs> and cheese grated the shin and uh, basically, yeah, Nino was nearly Nino Nigel to the hospital it, uh, your leg looks like somebody shot it with a shotgun like it's yeah. not shit uh, yeah young guy stuff yep <laughs> I'm young <laughs> yeah so I got the Mark 1 golf fixed up there so the uh, Mark 1's going well yeah I like that what about yourselves then leave Mark, Mark 1 news I have Mark 1 news although I should really leave this as part of your news because not gonna lie Connor has done most of the work so far. My hands can attest to it. <laughs> I need a hero. So, uh, yeah. Um, I've been just working, as I've said, I think the last few episodes, I have no car news because literally my life is work at the moment. But uh, bought some parts. That was my contribution. Yeah. Connor is now fitting the parts. I will help with some of the stuff, but uh, he's more happy to fit her away when he comes home from work in the afternoon and his, his Instagram story was filled this week with it adventures was. so Actually, the basic premise is I'm doing a total brake overhaul on the Jetta like front to back new lines servo master cylinder wheel cylinders redo all the drums the shoes um, upgrading the front brakes to 256s got new well they run 238s yeah yeah. a solid disc as well solid. so at least put the vented ones on have some difference so yeah it's uh well, it all kind of started when we were looking, we brought it into the workshop. I knew that we had started to do the cylinders, the the rear wheel cylinders before, because they were f- fucked, basically. Yeah. Um, we got one off, one of them rung, 
it was a whole hoo-ha. It was basically lying in the drive with no... No way nothing, to break. <laughs> nothing attached then for months. So we pulled it in to start on it. And I don't know what we were doing. We were looking at something in the bay. Connor was probably pointing out something to me like, oh, you could smooth this bay. You could do, you know, the way he does. Wire talk. <laughs> Four years later. And we looked. And Connor <laughs> looked. And he just went, holy fuck. And I goes, what? And I thought he'd seen a big spider or something like, because that's it's more. your thing. Than, yeah. No, I and, was uh, friend of his seen a spider. <laughs> no, that's Lee's thing. <laughs> and uh, one of the brake lines where it com- comes out of the... The master cylinder, the cylinder at the fr- under the bonnet was kinked like, like ninety degrees, basically. Like there couldn't have been any fluid going through it. So the brakes have always been kind of shit. But it's like, like I said to you before, it's, it's like one. old cars. Like I drove a Nova for years. I know what brakes are shit on old cars. Mm. They just are, and you. But you get used to it, and you just hit them a wee bit harder. That's just the way it is. But like this is mad. Yeah. So that's how it all really started spiraling out of control. And then it was like, right, well, when, when I'm in this far, might as well do everything. Upgrade the front brakes, blah, blah, because it's not a wee 1.3 anymore. So maybe it needs. Yeah. No, for a anybody more braking. New listeners, it's a 2.1 in carbs. Like, so it's instead of running the full 1.3 braking system. Yeah. 1.3 braking system that's braking on two wheels. So. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't going to do much. Well, even if, if we'd redone that brake line and that rear wheel cylinder, it probably would have been night and day anyway. Yeah. But, so the, ah, fuck it, just do it all. As we all know, the beauty of the Volkswagen parts bin, you can hook through and adapt and make th- things work. I think, have you the discs all done already? Uh, they're know. not no, on, yeah, but they're sitting yeah. there. I think there's a cheap way to do a G60. There is. is. It's Mark III GTI. Mark Mark III early GTI is a 280 mil, and that's the exact same as a G60 setup, except for it's a five-stud disc, and you just use a four-stud disc if you want. Um, There's loads of stuff that shares the same things as G60 brakes, but they're not called G60s, so they don't have the same tax on them. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially what Lee's is is the same calibers as a G60. They're off a Mark II, sorry, 6N2 Polo GTI, um, two fifty cell six mil front discs. I can nearly speak. Um, new hard lines and soft lines front to back. Bigger servo. Um, there's a seven inch servo on a Mark One. We're going the nine inch off a of Mark Two. We've got off yourself. Um, twenty two mil master cylinder from a Mark Two GTI, and then full brake drum overhaul in the back. So that'll make some difference. Yeah, it'll actually stop now, which will be nice. Aye. Especially in an older car, like you want everything as as good as can be. Um, yeah, that, I think that's pretty much. We had looked at getting, um, believe it or not, Vauxhall, Astra, and Astra and Cavalier, an early Vectra, uh, front calibers will fit a Mark One with different bolts. So bolt straight on. Right. Yep. Give you two fifty six mil. So it's a cheap way into a G sixty setup as well. Must be Lucas brakes. Yeah, and the problem is the uh, for the Mark Ones the to fit. The Volkswagen operator brakes is a Sirocco carrier, which is like hen's teeth. So we were going down this road, and of course, our friend Stefan, who we've mentioned many times, appears at the house and says, "Oh, I've got a set of those carriers." <laughs> I, I, I'm fully aware they're like hen's teeth. I was like, I just had a vision of you walking into Stefan's workshop, and I'm sitting in a big armchair, stroking a cat, going, "He does have a cat. Come and see me. I have all the parts you need." That's pretty much what he's like. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's getting there. It's been a learning curve for me because I'm not familiar with Mark 1s, although they're pretty much like a Mark 2 and Mark 3. I haven't done drum brakes in years. And they're joy. 
Yes, they're delightful, as you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. Um, I was incredibly angry yesterday at them doing them, to the point where when you come in to bring me a drink, you didn't stay around for very long. No, No, I did not. So... And I'm usually pretty chill in those situations, but I was not chill yesterday. <laughs> did, did you overcome it? I did. That's it's the done. Most thing. Exactly. They're done. And did that beat the? And then I went straight on to beating the burns out of the drums and felt like a man again. So that took like two minutes with a hammer. <laughs> so no, it's, it's all good in our end. Um, it's what class, else? It's classic at working the old car again. I I can't remember. I'm sorry. I can't remember. One of the listeners messaged me to say it's good to see you working at cars again because obviously I've been talking about it and it's weird because. While I didn't have anything like, you know, feeling down or anything, I feel like myself again after yeah. like six months of not doing it, which probably is pretty sad having much of a life, but like, when you're it's doing good. It, uh, talked about it earlier there, but you just feel, when you're back working in the car, you feel like yourself, you know. Just, you do, yeah. Oh, I remember how much fun this was. It's something that you a sense of accomplishment, uh, just. What, 14 months ago we took that for granted? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, so it's it's great, like. What else have we done then? The lockdown logs, you done? Yes, I got Pete Matthews from Paintworks. We had him on for a podcast pre-Christmas. Episode 22. 22. Drop the uh, bitch on some 22. So exactly. Uh, Pete came on and showed us around his Mark 7 R replica estate. Real tiny motor. Then his progress on his E36 M3. Or E46 M3 and then showed us around the bike collection the bikes which are I cool. asked him to because I know he has some funky bikes and that was really cool to see around his bikes I particularly like the tribute bike does father yes I it was a nice story that behind cool. that and then the cocaine white moped oh, that's so cool <laughs> I, I like the that. grill out of yeah. the, the B5 or whatever it was no, Pete's, like, <laughs> Pete's such a chill guy and just great the chat I, he's one of those people when you chat to him you don't see him that often when you do it's always yeah, good Like he's a good lad um, um, if you want to watch that go to our Instagram page and if you go on to IGTV you can see it Lockdown on there Lockdown Log Season 2 if I'm right yeah yep. and on our YouTube as well and then following on from that this will go out midweek yeah we'll have done by then we'll be having Jamie Hill on yeah so tonight I'm interviewing Jamie Hill and say if you're listening to this it will be done you might have seen it if not check it out is a 16 valve converted classic mini and like we say this about, levels yeah we say this about a lot of cars that we do and it's kind of why we focus on a lot of these cars is like the detail in it is yeah. just mental from everything he's he's a design engineer yeah. yeah and like if he's not making the parts he's designing them to be made um i think pete from Brickfab does a lot of stuff for him as well and like I'm it's like I'm really excited to do it because it's going to get nerdy and looking around all the details, which would be fun. I just so, yeah. remember you have an R. I know before yeah. Instagram turned you. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of Instagram, looking attacking me. Um, Pete was saying about the front bags on his his Mark Seven R replica. Uh-huh. Um, he said the TA Technics bags had a big bump stop in them. It stopped him going that wee bit lower, and to take it out and cut it. He didn't want to because he had to strip the whole strut down. And I commented saying, cut the bump stop or I'll cut your face. Mm-hmm. And I got a warning from Instagram for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it flagged up my Instagram because we had Jeepers. it on the TV. And Lee looked at me and was like, did you see that? <laughs> you, you were sitting there going, did I talk about COVID here? What's what happening? Yeah, what did I do? It's going to know how to threaten people to cut their face. <laughs> Flip so, the algorithm's going to get you. It really is. It's getting bad. Shall we move on then to our news proper? Yeah. Before we get into it. Lots of news this week, haven't we? <laughs> we do indeed, yeah. It's that time of the year. Who wants to go first? I'd crack on. Um, okay, news coming out this week. It'll probably be a bit late by the time we go out. But anyway, uh, VW Motorsport lives on. 
uh, Williams F1 have announced that Francois Xavier de Maison, that was good pronunciation. It was, that was Zach. He's uh, from VW Motorsport. He was known, his nickname was FX. So he was uh, technical director at VW Motorsport for about 10 years. So he's replacing the setup at Williams F1. Um, Frank Williams' daughter, Claire, I think she was deputy technical director yeah. in the last years or so. So he replaces her. And it's part of Williams' long-term planning to return to the front of the grid. Uh, so Frank then, as we'll call him, he was the former director at VW Motorsport. And if you've been laying under a rock and you're into VWs, you'll have heard about some of his uh, programs. One would be the IDR program. Yeah, He was behind that. So Pike's Peak Record, Nürburgring. Um, he was the head guy behind the Polo R, WRC. And uh, previously he's worked... Turning cars, rally teams, WRC, Renault, Peugeot. So the guy has serious motorsport heritage history. Yeah, he wasn't going to sit in his hands like when VW Motorsport closed down. He was going to go and do something. Yeah, so it'll be better to see what impact he makes. He's a big name and it's a big push by William. Big financial investment, I'm sure, also to try and bring the glory back, glory days back to Williams. Yeah. Um, would have right and said mid to, early to mid-2000s would have been there, Hedy. Yeah. Are certainly doing well anyway. Yeah, and they've just completely fell off the map. Their yep. new livery this year is shit, by the way. It is, yeah. <laughs> it is horrible. <laughs> Load of the other cars look really well. And as we all know from whatever, I'm not a massive Formula One head except for Drive to Survive, which we'll talk about in a while. But some of the new liveries, the Aston one is stunning. Yeah. It's yeah. it's class looking. The Williams one just looks a bit cheapo. What are you doing? The DFR. Whereas the old one with the white, like the martini was really nice, really classy. But I think their new blue one, I don't like it. Frank's salary must add up all the money for the liveries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the F1's starting again today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Verstappen qualified ahead of Hamilton. Seen that, yeah. Botas. I think Red Bull are going to make a real push. Uh, I think we're Who's going to talk their driver on. this year, Perez? For Red Bull? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think it is Perez. I did look at it last they night. They got rid of that remember. young fella, Alex, didn't they? Aye. F1 knowledge firing out here. It is indeed. <laughs> we did look at this last night, but I forgot. I'm going to I think I'm going to start try and watch Formula One this year and actually get into Until it. Four o'clock in Barrian. Bar- Bar- well, get her done. There you go. Yeah. You need Sky Bye. Sports or something, though. I will. Yeah. We'll find yeah. it somewhere. Channel Four used to. They do the highlights. They don't do the uh, actual yeah. live race. I think. Kick. Um, I don't think we can go much further without mentioning two deaths in the automotive world and. We'll not linger on them too long because, again, they're kind of old news now, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Um, the first one was Murray Walker, who was the voice of F1 for us growing up, especially, and touring cars too. Yeah, there was a guy sure. I went to primary school with, and he did uh, this hilarious Murray Walker impression. Like, I remember we were at Arden Bannon, you know, for, like, P7 class like a retreat. Trip. Yeah. It's like a activity centre. You go and do canoeing and all this sort of stuff. And... Uh, the instructor was driving us up into the morns somewhere in this minibus, like an old transit minibus. And he was sitting up the front doing this impression going, and... Uh, go, 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 go! <laughs> he was like, and we'll never going to get to the canoe site if Alan doesn't take the minibus over 11 miles an hour. <laughs> it was so funny. Some of the things he came out with too was amazing. And then the poking of Mansell's head that time. And then yeah. Then he, oh, he goes replacing. Yeah, Mansell was in the back of a like a pickup truck. And I think was he, he took his helmet off to hand it to someone. It was like a parade <laughs> afterwards. And there was an overhead barrier. And it was doing about 10, 10 11 mile an hour. And he smacked his head off the barrier. 
as he was standing up in the truck. And then in the interview afterwards, he had his hat on and Murray says to him, oh, take your hat off there. And he, he, he said, let us see the bump. And this is massive. It looks like an egg. He just goes over and pokes it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just so so British, and, or sort of English, or whatever you want to call it. And the way he commentated, he got very, very excited, made lots of mistakes, but that's why people love them. Yeah, I think like, he's... When I was younger, there was two things about F1. It was the Fleetwood... Isn't Fleetwood Mac on the... With him too. Yes, it was him and Murray Walker. Yep. You know, that was... Some of the stuff he came out with, like, and as you say, like, so many mistakes, and, uh, like, he would correct himself, and he used to say, some was it something like, um, I don't make mistakes, I make prophecies that turn out to be wrong, or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's just... You couldn't write the stuff that he came out with, yeah. but it was obviously just straight off the top of his head. Um, he made mistakes, yes, but his knowledge was fantastic. Yes, oh, he, there's no doubt about it. And he was like a massive, like he was as big as any of the drivers at the time. You know, yeah. he was F1 Celebrity. as well. Yeah. So yeah, it was sad to see him passing. The other one then was Sabine Smith. And Sabine was, a well, yeah, she was a race car driver among many things. She'd done the ring taxis. Queen of the ring. ring. Yep. She grew um, up beside the Nürburgring. Her family had a restaurant, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, full hotel. Um, the first I had ever heard of her, and probably many, was, unless I'd been to the ring, was on Top Gear. Yeah, the transit. Probably 10, 12 years ago, I would imagine. Great episode. Uh, Clarkson had the Jaguar diesel. Yeah, trying to get it around the ring in under 10 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. And she says she could do it in a van. And <laughs> sure she enough, did. she did. <laughs> it, uh, it was a big effort, but she did it. Like, And I'd say there's not too many would know the ring like, like she did. Um Again, cancer, fucking horrendous, and well, what can you say other than fuck cancer? Like, but yeah. like, what was she fifty one? You know, it's sad to see somebody with a lot of life left that could still so much to give with it. But taken too soon. I mean, yeah, and like amazing achievements. She was the first woman and only woman to win the twenty four hours of the Nurburgring, and I think she was an E thirty six M three at the time. Yeah, like, I think I seen a picture. That's uh, and. Anybody, like you see any interviews from anybody that worked with her, always said that she was so full of life, you know, and always like fun and just like constantly giving abuse, which came across in TV too, which was good. You know, she wasn't kind of like, you know, trying to make up for anything. It was just being herself, which was cool to see. So I think a good thing to come out of it was uh, Chris Harris comment on his his Instagram. He's really taken Instagram lately. But uh, I think. Top Gear are going to do a tribute episode of some description. Yeah. They're going to do a, a feature on it anyway. So that would be good to watch, yeah. I think she was, I think it goes without doubt saying that she was well loved within the Top Gear community. Was it the first series of the new Top Gear she was back on? Yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, and then obviously I think with the cancer she stepped back from yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah, it was sad to see. So two big losses. Yeah. Um, my first piece of news is um, I'm not smug about it at all. The market for electric cars has been dealt a blow, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) by a sudden announcement from the Department for Transport that the £3,000 plug-in car grant for all electric cars under £50,000 has now been reduced to 2500 and it'll only apply to cars under £35,000. I think it came kind of a bolt from the blue, from what I gathered from reading a few articles that... Nobody knew it was coming and it was announced on the 18th of March and it was as of like immediate effect. Yeah, there's a lot of outrage over this. Yeah, where so anybody who was in the process of doing a deal or thinking about buying or whatever, they're just like, no, you can't. Yeah. So it, it's going to knock out the likes of the Tesla Model S and some of the higher end cars that just won't be eligible anymore. I think the cap, did you, maybe you've already said this, the cap dropped from like 50 grand to 30 35. To 35 is it? Yeah. yeah. 
which is like when you consider the cost of new cars now, like 35 grand doesn't get you a yeah. huge amount, especially in the EV world. Is there well, any, re- even, any reason given for it? Or? Uh, well, I have a few quotes here from the Department for Transport. Um, Does it say it's targeting rules? Targeting less expensive models, <laughs> reflecting a greater range of affordable vehicles available. Uh, the choice of electric cars below the £35,000 threshold has increased by 50% since 2019. Um, growing demand from customers and rapidly rising number of charge points mean the level of funding still remains as high, but with the demand, they're refocusing the grants on the more affordable zero-emission vehicles. Um where most consumers will be looking and where taxpayers' money will make more of a difference. And you kind of see the reasoning as well, because if you can afford a 50 grand plus car, you don't need a three grand grant, really. Whereas if you're trying to buy a family car... It's like means testing. Yeah. That's what they're introducing. But at the same time, if they're trying to get people to shift, you know, people with that money are going to want to save money at the same time. You'll find... Well, like a car manufacturer will counter it and go, here, we'll take that off. Ah, Don't worry about it. It is going to hit, well, there's an example here for a Volkswagen ID4. Um, the price of it is actually going to increase by £3,000 because their small print deducted the grant. Oh, right. Kind of before. Yeah, so the, the before price the you fact. were saying was including the grant. I think what you'll find is VW will have this contribution payment or something added to it now. Um. And just when you're saying about the kind of more affordable models, you can get the entry level ID three in the what they call the life trim, which is base spec basically, um, under the the thirty five k threshold, which will get you the grant. But if you go up to the pro performance model, you're over the threshold, so you won't get the grant. You'll not get it. That's sad. That's cut off. Makes things tricky. For it does. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of right on the cusp of you know, something decent. There's still additional incentives out there like um, benefit and kind payments and stuff, so it's still quite attractive for Excuse fleet me? vehicles. A what? Benefit, <laughs> benefit and kinds for if you have like a company vehicle. So like the, if you're paying it through your tax and mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, like zero emissions and low emissions stuff taxes you less, I think, if I remember right. And commercials is like a lot higher, so yeah. it's, or maybe less. But it all goes a, in the a, type that of... That term means something entirely different. <laughs> oh, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Um, so this article goes on to say proportionally it hits the buyers of kind of mid-size and crossovers harder whereas if you were going to buy some of the smaller kind of nipping around town the Reynolds Zoe yeah the, the Leafs small and that kind of thing. Nissan Leaf all that sort of stuff so it still help you out if you're going to buy one of those but it's skewing that benefit more towards either older people who are buying it as a retirement car, you know, nip in and out to the shops or whatever. It's not really going to help the family because if you're going to buy a family car, you need a bigger car. Yeah. So I think it's it'll make the overall proposition less attractive for people, I think. It's a strange is, move. I'm okay with it because... Oh, it suits us. It suits our <laughs> agenda, like, but it's a strange move. Don't be crying too hard about Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I also read an article the other day on... I think it was Top Gear, about the new head of F1. I can't remember his name, but he used to be the head of Lamborghini or something. Yeah, we talked about him in the last episode. Um, And he was he had come out and said Formula One will not go electric, at least not under his watch. 
and it'll stay hybrid. And he made some comment about it keeps it more relevant for people for like real world, real life cars. It also wouldn't make sense. And I was like, good man. It wouldn't make sense considering you've got Formula E. You know, so Formula One goes, does that mean then it it goes away? But yeah, electric car rant over for another episode. (laughs) I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Oh, there will be, yeah. Uh, another quick story was, I'm sure you've read if you're following any sort of automotive groups or whatever on Facebook or the internet, was the arsonist hack destroys a massive collection of luxury supercars in Cheshire. You've seen any yes, stories Yes, I did on? see that, mm. yeah. So there was 80 vehicles went up in smoke, including a £1.2 million LaFerrari and another undisclosed vehicle worth £3 million. It was a wealthy classic car de- dealer's collection stroke stock. And it had various rare edition Jaguar, Porsches and Lamborghinis. And they haven't put a figure on how much it's valued at. But The multi-millions? Yeah, I think it's uh, a bad one. And Cheshire Police have said the fire was deliberately started. So somebody has enemies. Yeah, indeed. It's uh, You'd want to make sure your insurance is up to date on that, like, wouldn't you? Well, let's hope it is, or mm-hmm. everyone's in serious trouble. <laughs> well, sorry, sir, there's a one million pound cap on your claim. <laughs> wouldn't I even mean, cover half of it. I would like something they would do. Yeah. Read, <laughs> always read the small print. cap, listen to me, I'm talking crap. <laughs> <laughs> always read the small print. Yeah. So, yeah, just a short story there. I have a, a very, very brief one, just, and it might, I sort of include it just because it might actually be of interest or help a few people out. There's a company called Synetic, and they've started up. If any older people maybe um, remember Partfinder, you could go online, type in whatever you wanted, and used to search like salvage yards across the UK and Ireland. This is kind of like that. It it's like an internal they have like a list of salvage yards across the UK, and they just kind of list everything in the one place. So you're essentially ban it through the website, but it could come from any of them. But they've got everything from like I think there's a list in there. I kind of like took a top end thing, which was a Maserati Grand Touring engine for seven, just seven grand, right down to like Austin Metro glass at twenty five pound a panel. So like they've everything, and you just go on. I I kind of searched it for like Mark One Golfs, Novas. They ended on your like you know Corsa Ds and all the. And it just it seems the random parts for everything. So it's one of those things that if you were looking something, even if it is a bit obscure, it's worth sort of checking out. Most of the things on it are bad now. There's a few things have bids, but 99% of it's bad now. But it even lists like the car that it came off right down to the mileage and the color of the car was. So mm-hmm. it's it's really, really detailed, which is nice. Um, Not so a good resource. That's it, yeah. And it's just one of those things that's sort of picked up on. Went, that could be interesting to keep an eye on. So it's synetiq.co.uk. So check it out and see. Um, my next story follows on from something that I talked about last episode, which is uh, Mitsubishi Tommy Mackin and Evo. It's slightly related, so very cool car. Yes, <laughs> very expensive. We learned, uh, yeah. <laughs> so as we know, Mitsubishi has pretty much pulled out of the UK market. They've said, "Fuck this, we're See out." Which is fair enough, because I think, as I commented on a previous episode, when was the last time Mitsubishi made a car that you gave a fuck about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. So it's not like it's a big loss, particularly. But uh, it means they're tying up their kind of loose ends before they exit the marketplace. So the Colt Car Company Limited will become an after-sales care kind of business. But other than that, other than a couple of badge-engineered Renaults, um, there will be no Mitsubishi. So they're selling off their premises, their company, HQ, and uh, 
of course, their heritage fleet. Very nice. So Somebody's going to pick up a few nice things. Absolutely. So there's 14 cars that are going under the hammer on a virtual auction site, auto auction it's called. And uh, yeah, there's some nice uh, pieces of metal in there that obviously they've been well looked after. You know, Does it give the mileage or anything on the Mackinac? No, I have the mileage here for some of them. So there's three Evos, um, Tommy Mackinac 2001, um, and it's actually signed by Tommy Mackinac on the bonnet. <laughs> yes, that's over 100 grand. <laughs> if, if like an average one's making 50. I'll go, I'll go to America. Yeah, oh, more than likely. But like if an average one's making 50 for having been used with 70, 80,000 miles on, if that's low mileage and signed by them, name your price. Uh, there's an 08 Evo 9. Now, here's a bunch of letters. MRFQ360HKS. Yep. With fewer than 5,000 miles on the clock. And a 2015 Evo 10 FQ440MR, which is a 440 brake um, special edition that was for the 40th anniversary. It used to be rumoured that that FQ stood for fucking quick. That's right. Do you <laughs> remember the black one they had on Top Gear years ago? Yeah. It was just a... They're an animal. The lag on it was just ridiculous. Um, there's the first ever Mitsubishi ever registered in the UK, which is a 1974 Colt Lancer. Yeah, nice. And a Colt Gallant from the same year. And there's a bunch of the uh, Shogun's uh, L200s, the kind of snazzy Dakar type ones. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of sad to see them go when you think of that the hat side them, yeah. of it. But I'm surprised they didn't take them back to Japan. You know, to their like the Mitsubishi base. Yeah. Financial tip from Connor: buy stock in Mitsubishi. I would say with the time these sell and what they make, we'll probably make Mitsubishi more in one auction than they've made in three years in the UK with car sales. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good the... tip, Gary V. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh. If you want to grab yourself a little slice of Mitsubishi history, Break the head online the there. Yep. I don't think it'll be any of us, but no, it's good. And if it goes to an enthusiast and it, you know somebody has the opportunity then to buy these cars, I think that's good. But as we probably know, they're going to end up in some dickhead's collection who, and they'll never turn a wheel again. Bubble wrap, which is a bit sad as well. Yeah, and then they haven't turned a wheel either. This long time, I imagine either. You can't see them doing much. Mm. That just reminded me, last night we were sitting, um, you know, Saturday night, having a drink, what film will we watch? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you flick through Netflix or whatever. And Laura says, uh, Bridesmaids, let's watch it. I've never actually seen it. It looks it's terrible. It's oh, really? Yeah, it's just brilliant. Um, but about halfway through, I just realised, your, your woman drives a banger in it. Mm-hmm. Real rough looking car. It's a boot cup twin cam. <laughs> <laughs> Not a yeah. GT or anything. Yeah. But I'm just sitting there going, that's a... That's probably about eight grand's worth. Yeah. And then one scene it gets crashed into and the next thing oh. is... And I was just sitting there going, that's probably worth a fortune. It probably it's a is. film made 10 years ago and you're sitting going, there's probably boys watching that going, Cran. where's that car now? Yep. <laughs> In the scrapyard. <laughs> but there you go. Just a random segue, as usual. Sorry. Always. Have you uh, more? Yes, my last piece of news really is just an update on a bit of local... Rally driver news and local rally driver Craig Breen. I think he's a Fermanagh man, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, He returns for a seat in WRC. He's a Hyundai driver. 
He's driving an I-20 and he's taking up the rotational third seat in Hyundai for the Rally Croatia. It's a 20-stage, three-day rally, so it's good to see that uh, Breen is being recognised in the Hyundai team. And he's getting a seat. It's the first tarmac round since uh, joining Hyundai in 2019. Comes after him finishing fourth in Rally Finland. He's known as Mr. Consistent after 20 events in 30 months in F- RRAF cars. So it's a chance for him to really prove himself in Hyundai and hopefully get a permanent seat in the It's good to see local people doing well too, getting recognised. Yeah, so a bit of good news for Northern Ireland boys. The, um, my next one then is very briefly about the, the Volkswagen emissions scandal. So we all know Dieselgate back in 2015 or so. And Volkswagen actually opened like an internal investigation into what had happened. And the roulette wheel has stopped and two people have been uh, nailed for it, shall we say. So uh, Martin Winterkorn and Rupert Stadler, they've burned the brunt of this. So they're the former chairman of the board of management for both Audi, sorry, Volkswagen and Audi, respectively. So I would say for the last few years, we were talking a few squeaky bums at Volkswagen and who's going to get the hammer dropped on them for How this. How long is this going on now, Dieselgate? Uh, six years. So this is their internal investigation. Um, so they've come to the conclusion that they're, they've done wrong and they're seeking damages for a breach of duty of care. So... I, that's a very broad statement. And I'm that's very surprised that actually reached as far as management. Yeah, the Dieselgate thing. Yeah. Oh, it went to the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, we watched. Uh, what do you call it, Lee? That dirty money dirty episode. Money. Did you watch it? I, I must actually watch it. It's very reactionary and very emotive. Like, and you kind of look at it going, "Shut up!" But it gives a lot of information on what actually did happen. Like, and it's it's scary. Um, interesting to note as well that no, there was no one else were found to have uh, breaches of duty or anyone else on the board, just these two guys, which kind of like, that's impossible. You know, I'm not going to say anybody was implemented in something when they're not, but yeah. I mean, if two two guys on the board knew, everybody else knew, like, good timing for a topic, which will be coming up very shortly. So we'll, we'll get into that. So I thought that was interesting. I also seen as well that a lot of these guys that were involved in this are still fugitives as, like, this is actual quote, fugitives of justice in the U.S., so they've went back to Germany and America are looking at them, but they can't be extradited because of German laws protecting them. I don't know if it's to do with like business law or what is happening. And one of them was found in Croatia, um, no, sorry, 2019. I don't know if he's holidaying or what was happening, but those laws obviously don't cover them in Croatia. So he was something happened. He was stopped by the police. Sorry, there's a warrant out for you in the States and was shipped over. So they're still hunting them. Like. But, but that I was th- like your man. It's um, like the Nazi hunters. Eccleston? No, not Eccleston, but yes, similar thing. One of the your man who used to own the Force India Formula One team, yeah, and he couldn't leave the UK. So he the only race that he could ever go to for his team was at Silverstone. <laughs> right. But he couldn't go to any of the international races in case he got arrested and extradited back to India. Or well, a hitman. There, there's Eccleston. He got done for serious fraud, and wasn't it Eccleston? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'll take your word for it. Better not get sued here. <laughs> Bernie will be listening. Oh, you said it's for first and second name. Now you're going. <laughs> no, but there was a court case a couple of years ago, and basically some sort of fraud, and he was facing so many years or whatever. But because of German law, he just paid a fine. Ah, that was it. And avoid jail. Well, the Germans will keep you. Keep <laughs> you right. Look out for their own. Just don't cross them. That's it. Well, yes. <laughs> um, another one of mine then. I have 
Well, we all know Brexit. We've heard of Brexit. And we know what's happening. So we know nothing about it. No, no nothing about it. <laughs> so obviously, in the south, there was always like a kind of—I don't know the actual proper name for it—but like an agreement between the UK and Ireland that new citizens could travel, like a common travel area, and like driving license is always covered. So if you were had a UK driving license, born in the UK, living in the south, you didn't have to trade it in or anything for it. Where when Brexit happened, then you did. So it was actually a fairly simple process. It was a fifty-five euro fee. You dropped, filled in a form, showed them your original UK driver license, and they send you out your Irish one. Should be simple enough. But nope, for fifteen people, they got quite a shock when they received not only a driving license but a driving ban. Right. Because, as we know, other countries can't issue penalty points for offences in their country. So if you have a UK driving license, the South and in Ireland, they can't put points in your license for infringements and vice versa it goes on to a ghost license so Nigel here has his UK license he has a ghost Irish license he gets caught speeding in the south he pays the fine and the Irish points go on to the Irish ghost license which doesn't exist but then Brexit comes along and you need to apply for an Irish license and you get your Irish license which is also this backlog of points on it and some of these people had more than 12 points so 15 <laughs> people received an automatic driving ban didn't get a court summons or anything nope. no Straight to ban. So Tough that would have been uh, quite a shock for him. Um, but could, well, you could lose your job, you know, who knows what would happen. Traveling down. But I suppose the way they look at it is, well, you shouldn't have been speeding. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure there's a... A very long arm of the law there. Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so long runs the foxes, to say. <laughs> you know the one, Lee? Uh, my last one is about the demise of the Ford Mondeo. After 25 years, Ford have announced that the Mondeo will be phased out in early 2022 uh, as they react to growing changes in customer preference in the European market. So the factory in Valencia, where the Mondeo is currently built, is now going to build EV battery packs, snooze, and the 2.5 litre petrol engine for the Ford Kuga, Galaxy and S-Max. Also snooze. Also snooze. Um, I actually thought the Mondeo started production five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so they've so news. <laughs> sold over five million Mondeos um, since they were launched in 93. But compared to 81,000 that were sold in 2001, last year they only shifted 2,400. So with people's changing tastes to more SUVs and crossovers and that kind of yeah, thing. It can, it can be seen in the road there. Yeah, writings on the walls. The cylinders are dying. Like. I can't imagine an SUV doing the touring cars, though. So, yeah, Lee and I were looking at the pictures of the touring cars from what sort of mid 90s, and the yeah. Mondeos are like the so cool. cool. Yeah. But it was funny because, like, growing up, you never would have looked at a Mondeo. You know, you're looking at Mondeo going, that's something my dad would drive, you know. Well, that was the whole thing of Mondeo Man. Yeah. Was like the rep man. Middle, yeah. cla- you know, Sales Middle rep. England, middle everything, just normal dude that was the whole thing of the whole labor campaign back in the mid 90s yeah you're everyday man. man i think it, there was some some journalists actually said that it's the s2220 you know the v6 yeah, yeah. it's more limited there's only it's below 100 made yeah they're they're fairly very very car, rare yeah. they're more limited than some Aston Martins or Porsches. Yeah. No, they're, they're cool. One of my favourite of the Mark 1 Mondeos is a local one. It's Mark King's. Oh, um, no, that's just different it's not, levels. It's, yeah, it's not exactly a Mark 1 Mondeo anymore, though. I think it's four-wheel drive under, underpinnings from a Sierra. Um, it's a Railing Motorsport, doesn't it? Yeah, Railing Motorsport originally built it. And 
it's funny because like if it's it's kind of a lurry color it's, it looks like pistachio green from the mm. volkswagen polos um and it's got a set of comp motors on it but like if you painted that burgundy or something with a set of normal wheels it just looked like any other car and it's got 500 horsepower with sequential gearbox it's just insane that car but yeah another another model lost yeah the... goodbye mondeo not much more to say really is there nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um my final bit of news then, uh, back to rallying. You were talking earlier nights about rally, and a few months back we talked about Ken Block and Ford have parted ways after 11 years. We kind of speculated where he would go. So he hasn't got an actual like official backer, but the first thing he's found himself in is a 2015 Skoda Fabia R5 rally car. So he was doing the 100 Acre Woods rally, which he's done seven or eight times now. There's definitely a Winnie the Pooh joke in there with the 100 Acre Woods. <laughs> but he says he chose it because it's the most successful R5 rally car ever. And it certainly didn't let him down because he finished second overall in the rally. And he was so beat bad. only by his friend, Travis Pastrana, in the Subaru. He is a lunatic. Yeah, it would take a lot of beating to beat that man. It's like someone said he looks like he's, uh, anytime you see him driving, he is a passenger. He doesn't know what's going on. He just looks panicked at his own driving. Yeah, for sure. Um, third place then went to Barry McKenna of McKenna Motorsport and even though this is in the States McKenna Motorsport sounds very Irish and you'd be correct uh, Barry is from here I'm trying to work out I think he's maybe from Monaghan and he spends a lot of time between rallying here and the States and he comes third and he actually owns the Fabia the R5 that mm-hmm. Ken was driving which is pretty cool so of course you couldn't have rallying without an Irish connection there like oh sure it's part of the culture yep so I'm still waiting to see what he's going to end up in for manufacturer-wise or backing or see what's going to happen. But he's not sitting on his laurels. He's out there getting it done. Doing tough. Mm. Yep. Doing Ken stuff. <laughs> Usually ridiculous. <laughs> cool. Um, YouTube's anybody? Yeah. Well, I'm just, I've got a few here, but I forget who it was. A couple of episodes was asking for recommendations. Was it Emmett? It might have been Emmett O'Leary, yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention two other YouTube channels. They're very indulgent, sort of hot hatch, supercar, 4K cinematography, awesome content, rolling footage, really two good channels I enjoy. One of them is called Supercar Driver and the other is called Cars with Look. Cars with Look, I think he's in Austria, but there's just wonderful cars, 4K production and great content. So just a wee recommendation to start things I off. I can't say I've ever heard of either of those. No, no. Cars look. Uh, he's Some of the cars he's driving are insane because he's he's very close to a lot of German tuning uh, companies. Like, so mm-hmm. he'll just sort of pop into different places and then take it out for a spin. That's pretty cool, Stuff yeah. Like that. And uh, yeah, Supercar Driver, they're, I think they're doing a series to celebrate the V8 or naturally aspirated. They're doing a couple of series here over the next few, wee while. But some of their stuff's very good too. Excellent. So, no. Just a wee recommendation there. That's my first point. Um, my one there is actually a YouTube channel by a friend of ours and listener, Mike Poley, uh, Dog Pizza on Instagram, if anybody might know him. His channel's The Rabbit Hole. It's very Mark 1 heavy. Um, he's a big Mark 1 guy. We had done a lockdown log with him on a sport truck that he has. And as I say, if you have any interest in Mark 1s, check this out. He goes around and interviews people with different stuff. So he's like Mark 1 Golf, Sirocco's. And it's everything from like ratty fast cars to like complete show cars and he's actually started a build himself here where he's putting a k24 honda engine into a mark one which will be fun mm-hmm. um you're talking like i think out of the box of 200 horsepower yeah oh, 
Honda.ecu, which is what he's running it on, from what I remember. Simple map on that, you're seeing 240 horsepower and something that probably weighs about 900 kilos. A lot rev to the moon. Yep. So it's kind of like, well, the original Mark 1 GTI was that revy hot hatch. Like, it's kind of a modern take on that. I think he said he had originally took his inspiration from uh, Mike from Stanceworks, who's doing Ferrari. the K24 Ferrari. Obviously, Mike's going turbo and four-figure horsepower like but yeah. this is his take on that so it's pretty cool so yeah check check it out on youtube the rabbit hole cool i'll move on to one of the channels i quite like and it's harry's garage so this episode he dropped it last week it was basically a review of the m2 cs that's being launched this year um so he basically walks around the car and takes us for a drive stuff like that there you know, usual review and it's basically him saying is this worth the extra £23,000 over the competition M2. What, what are you getting for that money? Lots of carbon, lightweight wheels. Um, yeah, lots of carbon, lots of carbon. I think an upgrade brakes. It's, I think he worked out as 100 kilograms lighter. He says the major problem is its biggest rival is the competition. Yeah. So, but as he, he points out, it's a limited run. They've basically all sold out. It yeah, doesn't matter what he says. It's they're they're sold anyway. Yeah. CSs always do, basically. Um, but he says fantastic car, but he just can't see the justification. And it's a twenty minute video. Um but he says in conclusion, basically, you'd be better buying I uh, suspension chains as well, I think, as far as I know. You'd be better buying the competition and spending money on wheels, suspension. That's what I was going to say. Um, Could you buy the, the, the one below it and spend the 26 yeah. or 23 well, grand says, on it? He says five or six grand will get you up to basically the same sort of levels. <laughs> That's typical BMW. Look at the, was it the CSL E46 M3? And you you were paying a lot, a lot, lot more for a lot, yeah. lot less kind of thing. I think it was carbon roof, carbon bonnet, carbon boot lid, carbon spots. You're always going to pay just, for that. Just extra carbon everywhere. Um, for BMW, haven't done it. Yeah, it's a 20-minute video. It's quite interesting. And then just to carry on from that there, one of Harry's friends, Ian Terrell, who runs Terrell Restoration Workshop, he has a YouTube channel. And one of the videos he put, I don't really watch a lot of his videos, but one of them was particularly interesting because it was an M1 review. And they'd got an M1. I'm talking the 70s M1. Yeah, like the Uber Rare. It was basically the, the godfather of the M series, uh, the, the M revolution in BMW. But it was a very interesting video on the M1 they had got it in for a, a restoration and he just sort of walked around the car so if you don't know about the M1 it's in the 70s BMW we're looking and watching uh, Porsche being very successful in motorsports so this was their attempt to get in on the action mm-hmm. uh, in the Group 5 sort of era but then Group 5 disappeared so they de- alongside if you didn't know the M1 was developed with Lamborghini so basically underneath it's a Mura and a Countach. You can see that. You can see that influence in it, though, yeah. in the way it's, it's built. So it's a 3.5 six cylinder, 270 brake. There's only 450 made for homologation. And uh, he takes it out in the drive. He, he points out wee quirky things around it and stuff. So mm-hmm. I found it very interesting. That's yeah. cool. It's actually a channel I've never watched, and everybody raves about it. And Terrell's Workshop? Yeah, it and the uh, Harry's as well. There and I pick and choose what I watch. Some of the stuff, it's all right, but. Stuff that you're into, he does it very well. Aye, yeah. You know, That's so. cool. No, it's a good wee video if you're stuck someday. I think it's about 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, some interesting stuff in it. And not so much YouTube, but I don't think we can pass it without talking about it. It would be, as Lee mentioned earlier, Drive to Survive. Oh, yeah. 
we rinsed it like as soon as it came out we had it all watched by the end of it's the just weekend like a, yeah <laughs> it's like a packet of pringles yeah once you open it ah oh, we're stuck here now <laughs> yeah we're at it like it's uh, i don't think that's the pringles tagline necessarily we're going to get sued yeah um yeah, season three, you know, they've really found their feet with what they're doing. They know how to build suspense. Oh, you'd the say drama, amazing. the levels of production are just insane. What gets me is like the the access that they have. There's one point that's quite funny. I can't remember who's having the conversation. Turn the video off. Turn the camera off. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. The, he's like, don't don't say that. He's like, what do you mean? He says, there's a boom camera. mic above you. And like, they're yeah. zooming in from way down the pits. And it's just like, they can't escape it, which is quite good too. Um, I still think... We then went back and watched season one and two afterwards, and Gunther Steiner. We looked like fucking wankers. <laughs> that, <laughs> Gunther is the man. He's so funny. Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, Gavin five five two five Gav, um, and he said the same thing about Gunther. It's just he's awesome entertainment, and he, he comes across as such a really nice guy, but then he just loses it. You know, <laughs> how do you describe your season? Shit, shit, yeah, <laughs> straight to the point. Um, bit of Kimmy Räikkönen in this one too, who is oh. the master of. Essentially, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like he, you're not getting anything from him. I think he had a radio comment on this week's qualifying in uh-huh. F1, and if somebody put a meme up of oh, Reckoning's back, it was basically he asked the pit, "Can you hear me?" Mm-hmm. The radio says, "No, we can't hear you." And then he replied, "Going well, why did you respond?" Then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's so straight to the point, like, um, and so dry. Uh, there was a few things we sort of picked up on though was um, it didn't cover much on Claire Williams step back from no. Williams but then that's maybe a very personal thing so maybe maybe she vetoed that she said no um, George Russell did, George Russell didn't get much of a look in with uh, at the time his drive when he replaced Hamilton when he had the, the Rona like that was a big big deal yeah he's been big in the media in general you know you've you've heard his name a lot and he's barely mentioned in this at all yeah which i thought was a bit sort of shitty um and then of course the highlight for me which i was waiting the whole time was grosjean's crash and like seeing the behind the scenes of that and just what was happening was just mental yeah obviously he was driving for Haas. gunther steiner we talked about was the the principal on the team like and you could see the shock in it like obviously uh, he they were interviewing him afterwards and he says like when you see fire you just think well he's dead no one's surviving that but even when they got him out it wasn't like he was elated that he got out Gunther was just he just kept repeating how the fuck did he survive that how the mm. fuck did, he was just like repeating this over and over and it's just mental I think it was kind of a big eye opener for F1 too when you see like so many people were just astounded but obviously he survived it's done really well. It's not when we say like they build the drama. It's not overly dramatized to the point where like you know something like Fast and Loud and all those American type shows are. It's just it shows everything. And I think also you got to be very careful of, of their editing. Yes, I follow a few F one pages and some of the editing is just fiction. Aye, yeah, t- they're cutting in sound or statements from completely different situations, add them into different areas. As in like the voiceover yeah. for it? Ah, uh, yeah. What's he doing? And apparently that was from a separate incident. That's interesting, yeah. An overtaking move, what's he doing? Uh, is there some F1 pages and they're going here, what are they trying to... Uh, this is straying from the truth then. Yeah, yeah I need to watch that then. But, but no, it's it's a good watch. Like it's, it's addictive. Like I just were working when it got released on Friday, I think I got to watch one episode and I think it was Messenger or something, and you just went, no, we watched it all tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Completed it, mate. <laughs> yeah. Ian Kay in Florida, he messaged to say, oh, Drive to Survive's out, and we're like, yeah, we've finished. <laughs> <laughs> but no. it's sort of, it, it, 
I've never seen a series that makes you turn to a driving series like it. Yeah. Now that, you're keeping an eye on thing. It's the best thing F1 ever done. I think F1 have realised that. Yeah. Because in series one, they were way down the grid filming stuff and the big teams wouldn't let them near. And then F1 have just realised, hold on a minute, this is bringing people back yeah. to F1. And in series two, you get more access. In series three, it's the full grid. Well, series two was the first time you saw Ferrari or Mark huh, that's on right. it. Yeah. Other than if they happen to walk past somebody in the background, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's we had said that too, that like Lee and I have made no like we've never made anything off the fact that we have never been Formula One fans. You know, we've never tried to say, Oh yeah, we've always liked Formula One now we're watching this. But the fact that we are watching it and now looking at it going, Maybe we should watch Formula One. Like yeah. it, if anybody was on the fence, they're probably already watching it and two like outspoken haters of F one are suddenly going, Maybe we should watch this, you know, it's doing a lot for their reputation. No, I think it did them good that they started off with the smaller teams because I think it made it more interesting. It certainly enticed me to watch it more. As opposed to, like, look at the glory here, you know, it's, yeah. the, it's the fight. If it had been Hamilton from the start, like, oh, you know, he wins every week, whatever, that would have been a bit boring. But actually the fight and the struggle and the kind of drama of the smaller teams. Yeah, the, the underdog. I think one of the most poignant moments for me was Gunther basically having to sack two of his drivers to get a German sponsor on board. Yeah, oh, I was crazy. Like, Just but, ruthless. But he, he only had to sack one, but he sacked them both. Yeah. Was, yeah <laughs> I, both can, I can't choose, so <laughs> fuck it. It's, uh, but it's I interesting th- that opens that up to show you that what actually does happen, yeah. you know. That's ruthless. But I think what it is, F1, nobody could relate. Now people watching Drive to Survive will look and go, yeah. I know him. Or- you can make a judgment and you can remember, oh, that's right, he done this and he done that. And now you can watch it going, ah, do you remember? Yeah. And that's the thing I think F1 has been missing for a long time. It Yeah, it definitely got to that point where I won't say it's like a high-end or elite sport. Yeah, for anybody competing in it, yes, but like the fans and anybody can go and watch it or that kind of thing. But it always had that kind of highbrow looking down on you kind of thing for me you know it was like lofting above everybody yeah. else but no definitely this it, it opens up Christian Horner is fantastic too for uh, principal for Red Bull and he, the media training that guy has had is insane because he's he remains calm under and he's very measured in what he says yeah. but he, he comes across again quite likable but he does a lot of twisting big influence over a lot of his drivers that came through Red Bull he obviously stays friendly with them had a bit of an influence, I think, with um, Ricardo leaving Reynolds, which mm-hmm. is probably a bit of a a go after the oh, or, yeah him leaving Reynolds or them for Reynolds kind of thing. But no, it's it's definitely good. I advise watching it. Yeah, ten out of ten. Before we go on to the topic, again, I'd like to take a second to talk about our sponsor, Relo Global. Relo Global are an enthusiast-owned company providing you with not only premium automotive apparel, but accessories such as garage banners, posters, stickers, and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland-based and an official stockist for 8380 Labs in the UK and Europe. They help us make all this happen, so check it out at Relo.Global. Oh, sorry. Top Gear. Oh, bollocks. Yeah, I forgot about that. So before we move into the main topic, just a quick mention of the new series of Top Gear. Series 30, that is, right now. And you've got the... I think they're probably in their third series now of Chris Harris, uh, Freddie Flintoff and Paddy McGuinness. That's the new lineup after Clarkson the guys left? Um, there's been a few lineups since then. Oh, sure, You're two, well behind there. There's there. Matt LeBlanc and <laughs> That's Chris right, Evans actually, yeah. saga. But uh, no, they're really starting to gel now. Last season was great and they kicked off strong with uh, 
episode one, series three. It was uh, quite heavy going for me anyway. It was your dad's car sort of challenge thing. And they had a Mark 1 Fiesta, which I learned to drive in. They had a 328i E21. All right, yeah. Is that an E21 or an E28? E28. Uh, E21's a three series. E28 then. Yeah. Uh, they had a 5-2, don't know. Some one of the old 5 series? I think it was a 5 series. Yeah. Getting lost now. And then a Mark 1 Cortino. So uh, Chris Harris was in the Mark 1 Fiesta. That's was dad drove. And then Freddie was in the Cortina. And Paddy was in the... No, Paddy McGinnis was in the Mark 1. Mm-hmm. And Chris Harris was in the BMW. And uh, a trip down memory lane. And it's basically what... About halfway through it, like it... There's a wee two-minute sort of thing and it. you know... My eyes got very watery. Ah, uh, your so, tear ducts were working yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit of dust in the room or something. Lee, Lee and I obviously haven't watched it because we haven't watched Top Gear in years, but I've seen a lot of the messages coming into the Reload Podcast Instagram page and new messaging back to them and everyone was saying the same. It was very much a I'm not crying, you're crying moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Very good, very good. What's so, wrong with my eyes? They're leaking. Top, Gear, top Gear's back on form and the relationship between three guys is really clicking now. That's good. It's good to see, like, they're always no matter what happened when Clarkson all left they're always in the back foot no matter who they put into the positions for it and the chances of them finding a team that gels so well on the first series is going to be difficult so if it has taken them two three series to do it fair play but you need to remember too that Top Gear like that lineup of Clarkson Hammond and May wasn't the original Top Gear lineup either you had Vicky Butler Henderson yeah. was Tiff Nadell on Tiff Nadell Quentin Wilson yeah so you had a lot of changes along that too you know until they kind of found much later the, do you know who the very the first presenter of Top Gear BBC Top Gear was no here's a fun fact for you Angela Rippon holy smokes I yeah. remember her doing yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that that's a good pub quiz trivia fact who was the first ever BBC Top Gear presenter there you <laughs> it's go it's not who you would expect <laughs> if we ever do a pub quiz Laser woman. There you go. Yeah. So good episode then. Good episode. I don't know how many episodes they got this season, but uh, Sunday night favorite for me. Lovely. Okay, Connor. Do you want to take us into the main topic then? Yeah. So we kind of alluded at the uh, the start of the episode. This is a topic that's not so close to my heart, <laughs> and anyone who has been an avid listener over this past year and a bit will know that I'm not a great fan of the diesels. It's quite a U-turn. This topic. It is, yeah. So who better to do a topic on diesel engines than the man who hates diesels? So I suppose a bit of backstory. I've never actually owned a diesel, but I've driven plenty of them. And I think really the main thing, my main hatred for diesels stems with the culture of diesel in this country. Because like I look at a big American diesel trucks and go, oh, that's cool. Because they're big, proper six-cylinder, eight-cylinder, big turbo, 400 horsepower, as opposed to some guy in a remapped Mark IV Golf telling you that it's 300 horsepower with his Ro- mate that rolling around chip fat yeah and his mate <laughs> mapped it in the back car park kind of thing and that D-turbo screwed to the moon yeah that, that kind of like rear bumper black number oh, plate black but yeah, it's all part of the car culture I suppose but it's just not for me and it's something that really puts me off it but when I did look at this topic originally I sort of found there was a wee bit more to it and went oh, this is actually interesting so there's some interesting bits there's some nerdy bits and uh, there's some controversy in the later stages of it but we'll get into it so cast our minds back to the 29th of september 1913 i remember it well i was just going to say and uh (laughs) we're aboard a ferry crossing from belgium to england a man an engineer called rudolf diesel 
steps out of his cabin onto the deck. Is that Vin Diesel's great grandma? Yeah, I think it is. He could be a relation. <laughs> and uh, he removes his coat, folds it up, places it on the ship's deck. And as he looks out over the railings, he can taste the salt in the air. He closes his eyes, takes a breath and jumps. Or did he? So while most of us will be familiar with the big diesel controversy known as Dieselgate back in 2015, it seems just over 100 years ago that the man credited with the diesel engine as we know it was surrounded by controversy himself. So before we get into it, I'll take a second to explain the operational difference between a petrol and a diesel on a very basic level before anybody messes me saying, that's not right. Inbox will be full on Wednesday, I'm sure. Obviously, with advancements in technology and as time goes on, everything changes slightly. But on a very basic level, they both work on the same four-stroke principle of suck, squeeze, bang, blow, which I'm sure you've heard of. Always amuses me. Um, <laughs> so the petrol engine on its intake or suck stroke sucks in a combination of air and fuel mixture. As the piston travels upwards on the compression stroke, it compresses or squeezes it. On the ignition stroke, the spark plug ignites it. And the mixture then causes the bang, which is forces the piston downwards and then creates the power. As it travels back upwards on the exhaust stroke, it blows the gases out. So that's your suck, squeeze, bang, blow. The diesel engine is very similar, only on the intake stroke, it only draws in air as opposed to the air to fuel mix. As the piston travels back upwards, it's compressing the air. As remember from our school days, when you compress a gas, it heats up. And in this case, it's heated to the temperature of diesel's flashpoint. So when it's compressed, the injector squirts the diesel into the cylinder, which ignites because of the temperature, causes the previously mentioned bang, drives the piston downwards, and the exhaust stroke forces it back out, much like the petrol engine. So there's not a massive amount of difference overall. So Rudolf Diesel was born in 1885 to Bavarian parents who had settled in France. France declared war on Prussia, which was a region in Germany, and the diesels fled to London to escape it. Age 12, Rudolf returned to Germany to live with his aunt and uncle, and after a few years, he studied at the Royal County Trade School and graduated top of his class. At the time of the Industrial Revolution, the steam engine was the pinnacle of technology, everything from trains right through to, uh, well, in industry, like in your sewing mills and everything was run off steam. He, however, was not a fan of this. He had a background in refrigeration and a love for thermodynamics, and he was keen to develop an engine that didn't waste heat. During the combustion process, steam engines were highly inefficient and less energy wasted meant that more work could be done from the same amount of fuel. So that was his goal. As is common in these times with everything, inventors right through to the common workplace, health and safety wasn't exactly a, a great thing, a thing. <laughs> or a thing at all, yes. And uh, naturally, some of these went wrong with his experiments and he was nearly killed with a steam engine that he was experimenting, which ran on ammonia vapor, which doesn't sound like it could be any more dangerous at all if he tried. These were trying times for everyone. Uh, his original concept was made to run an engine on peanut or vegetable oil. So at the time, the coal industry was like the equivalent of our oil industry now. It was big, big influence in the world. And Rudolph essentially wanted to stick it to the man. So he envisaged farmers growing their own supplies to make the oil and run their equipment, basically leaving themselves sufficient. With his engines, he aimed to achieve an efficiency of 75%, but he was only able to achieve 25%. However, it was still twice what any of the competitors had done. So his main issue was that his engines were highly unreliable. His devices sold well, but with reliability issues, many customers came looking refunds and Rudolf spiraled deeper and deeper into debt. The military were fans of his engine, however, mainly because diesel fuel was less likely to explode when stored and the fuel didn't need to be as high a quality as it did with a petrol engine so they could basically run it on anything. 
This scene, the French military equipped their submarines with diesel engines back in 1904, and with Rudolf Diesel now sleeping with the fishes, the military expanded their use of his invention into pretty much everything they could, lorries, trains, tanks. It took until the early 1930s for them to make their way into cars. Charles Chapman of Perkin Engines, which was a name synonymous with diesels, especially bigger construction than into lorries, he found a way to make them smaller and lighter. The Mercedes-Benz 260D is credited as being the first production diesel car, although at the same time the Citroen Rosalie 7U is also said to be the first. There's a big controversy between the two the two brands. The Benz was a 2.54 cylinder diesel pumping out a sleepy 45 horses with a top speed of 59 miles an hour. Rocket ship. Yes, a far cry from the diesel of today. <laughs> so skip forward a bit, post-World War II and the 50s and 60s diesel powered automotives began to gain popularity but mainly with commercial crowds. This saw them find their way into taxis and ambulances and Mercedes were specifically building diesel cars to be used as taxis. Other manufacturers began to dip their toes in the water, including Austin, Azuzu, and Fiat. And Austin being a British brand, like I can't imagine anything more unreliable than a <laughs> 1950s Austin diesel. They couldn't get the simple carburetors to work right, never mind no. that. But no matter how you built them, though, they all seemed to have a much larger capacity than petrol engines of the time, but were only putting around, around 50 to 60 horsepower, so nothing was too exciting or powerful. The big jump, however, came in the 70s. If you're familiar with Donut Media's up to speed videos, as I've watched probably all of them. Yeah. You'll know about the 1970s oil crisis, which had a massive effect on automotive industry, no matter where you were in the world. Uh, supply of oil globally dipped, and it was like a dramatic dip, and left many car owners and petrol stations and fuel stations without fuel at all. Demand for fuel efficiency ramped up, and this is where diesel really came into its own. So Volkswagen released the Mark 1 Golf with a 1.5 non-turbo diesel engine, which is basically a reworked petrol engine. And both Mercedes and Peugeot began experimenting with adding turbos to diesel engines to increase performance. This resulted in the first production turbo diesels in 1978. It was a 3-litre, 5-cylinder turbo diesel Mercedes 300 SD with a staggering 150, sorry, 115 horsepower in America. That was the S-Class of its day. And here in Europe, we got the Peugeot 604. It was a 2.3 turbo diesel pumping out 78 Le Chevaux, which is French horses, <laughs> um, I do believe. Um, You're so cultured, Connor. I am incredibly cultured. Yeah. So uh, I have to show that off now and again. Suddenly diesels went from being slow, noisy and unreliable to being a contender for petrol cars, both performance and reliability wise. And people wanted more, especially in Europe. In 1973, only 2.5% of cars were diesels in Europe. By the time the first oil crisis, two years later, in 1975, it was 4.1%. And five years later, it was 86 So it was quite a rapid change in the automotive world. In the early 80s, PSA, which is the group containing Peugeot and Citroën, released what can only be described as a legend amongst the diesel engines. It was the XDU. So on its release, it was hailed as being powerful, lighter than rivals, and super refined. Something a bit laughable today, considering how refined diesel engines are. It was a, these are pretty agricultural in comparison. So capacities ranged from 1.8 to 1.9 to 2.1. The 2.1 was much higher performance as 12-valve head as opposed to the 8-valve. And it was shoehorned into everything from the 205 to Citroen BX, to Zara's, Berlingo vans and 406s. But what we'll most likely know them for here in Ireland is the 306 D-Turbo. Sir. <laughs> sir you indeed. have to say sir. But, but. Oh, it's a D-Turbo, sir. Yeah. So love them or hate them. 
these had and still have a cult following. Combined sporty French hot hats with an engine that was fast, smooth, reliable, and able to run on red diesel from your farm. And it's always going to be a hit. I, I remember when the the D-Turbo, you know, there was the 1.9 TD, I think it was DT. Yeah. And then the D-Turbo came out. It was just yeah, game changer. It was like the first the performance diesels, really, you know, because it had the body kit. It looked sporty. And they, were, they were fast. Yeah, especially in their day. Um, and they're a fine looking car. They really I, I are. I do like a 306. I think they're lovely. Yeah. Um, was it TJ's brother bought the... The rally. The rally. Like, and they are a really good looking car. Not my, my, friend, my friend had a 205 turbo diesel. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Where we uh, sharp, years, imagine. sharp, sharp car. Well, that's... My next point here is that, most importantly, one thing about them was that they can be tuned with basic tools. So, adjusting the wastegate and fuel pump can see around 110 horsepower, which is, for free, is absolutely brilliant. The XDU engine ruled the roost from 1982 through to the late 90s until the Germans attacked the diesel game hard. Mechanical pumps might have been reliable, but by 2002 they were kind of old technology and the crown was passed from the French to Volkswagen with the introduction of their 1.9 PD or pump deuce engines. So these are the things probably we would have grown up with. Yeah. Pro- but I, I think I remember, like I, I had a few of the old school TDIs, like the 1.9 TDIs, and... Basically, it's an evolution of the seventies diesel engine. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you just look at the old, you look at a Mark One Jetta TD, TD engine, and you look at a late nineties TDI engine, and there's not a lot has changed. There's a very similar architecture with them. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a continual development with them. It's probably one of the best known diesel engines in recent times. Anyway, they ran insanely high injection pressures. There was peaks as high as like two thousand bar, which is quite normal. The injectors run off a dedicated cam. So this high pressure allowed for a very fine mist of fuel to be squirted in, which gave more power and efficiency, and was also smoother. The more common PDs were the four-cylinder variants we would have found in our Golfs and the Passats as well. 130, 150. That's it, yeah. I think it was down to like 115, I think they did the PD with as well. Um, They also had a 1.4 three-cylinder variants in the Polos, two and a half, five cylinders. And then you have to mention the five-cylinder, or the five-liter V10, which was in the Touaregs. Yeah, uh, kind of a monster, really. Yeah, Robin had one of those Fame. for... Yeah, other Savage. I think one of the, the promo things for it was uh, was a tow on an airplane. Yeah, it was the Jumbo, the yeah. 747 in the Touareg. And it's just, it's mental to see it. Um, and one thing that diesels do well, as we know, was torque. And it's just pure pull-in power. Unlike the older mechanical XDU Peugeot, the PD engines couldn't be tuned with basic tools, though. But it wasn't too difficult. A simple remap with a factory ECU with the likes of the 130 variant could be seen up to 180 horsepower, which is a sharp car. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a Fabio VRS, and they come standard with 130 PD, and it maps straight to, I think it was 178 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And they go so well. Oh, a flying machine. Again, as we said earlier, like these Jetta, like Volkswagen, is like Lego. You put all the parts together and you can get a lot more out of it using factory stuff. However, much like the XDU, the PD in the sporty and popular German hatchbacks, like the Golf, meant that the diesels were a hot commodity. Sales figures in Europe show that diesel's market share jumped from 17% in 1992, that was at the height of the Peugeot era, uh, up to 52% in 2015. Alongside all this marketing, Volkswagen Group also went racing with their diesels, so that the Audi R10 TDI LMP1, which won the 2006 24 Hours of Le Mans, it was the first diesel to do so, and Seat entered BTCC with two Leons, although I think they had sort of limited success. Um, yeah, Mark III Golf as well, wasn't it, the TDI? Yes, uh, it was rally. in the earlier days. Was it rally or track? track? It was... 
I think it was track, yeah. Was track. The silver one, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, Audi developed a 6-litre V12 TDI version of the R8 as well. <laughs> Have you ever seen these? No. Have you yeah. seen them? It, look it up. It's kind of weird because there's a review of a guy driving one and to hear the diesel clatter as it's it just strange. Drives off, it's, it's odd. Um, however, they didn't make it to market, which part probably of me is like, good. probably good. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'd like to see that. We were at Spruceville one night, do you remember? And there was a, f- a friend of ours or a friend of a friend from Portadown or Lurgan or something. And he had an ST replica Focus, do you remember? But Corley, it was a diesel. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we'd been in McDonald's or something and we were all coming out and we were standing beside the cars and another group of young lads walked past and one of them said, oh, look, an ST Focus. I can't wait to hear that thing going out. And he he was then was like, I have to stay until the end of the night. I can't, until they go, I can't. <laughs> yeah, because like he had done all the proper forward parts in this. Yeah. There was a fortune spent on it, but obviously it was a rep. So tightened emissions laws forced Volkswagen to drop the PD setup in favour of the common rail engine, which a lot of the other manufacturers had went towards. This bought more refinement, better emissions, and also teething issues, which a few of them shared the uh, keyways and the oil pumps, if I remember right, in the early yeah. days, and porous heads, but they soon got over that. About 06, there was head issues in the bag stuff. There was, yeah. So, like getting too technical, and we've probably lost everybody anyway, uh, the PD engine used four pumps, which was one per injector, to pressurize and ran off the cam. Um, that The timing of that also was what fired the injectors. The common rail engine used a single pump to pressurize a single fuel rail common to the four injectors, with the ECU controlling the timing of the injectors now, so it was getting more like a petrol engine by this stage. We I've had two common rail diesels now, the Superb and the Sirocco, and the they difference. are, they're just like driving a petrol. They're they're so smooth, there's no lag. Yeah. You know, they are, they're brilliant. The PD was very, and I, probably more to do with the turbo as well, was like it would have thrown you in, like your Fabian Nigel would have thrown you into the seat, you know, and come on boost where... Well, you, well, your F4 would be a common rule, I think, as well. And it, it is more smooth. You know, it's a lot more linear power. Well, I've drove all three variants of the engine. Like, and the late 90s TDIs were chug, chug, chug. They yeah. nearly rattled when they were taking over. And then you get the PDE. You still knew it was a diesel. And it had diesel characteristics. And then the common rail is just a complete smooth progression. Yeah, no, it's like day and night, especially. And that's, what, less than 20 years development. Yeah. Now, we mentioned the rise in diesel's market share there, and the last peak figure for it was 2015, and we kind of know the reason for this, and that was the Volkswagen diesel emissions scandal. Or they were framed. Gate. They were framed. Yeah, well, <laughs> as we'll find out, yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't just them, but along with the rise of love with diesels came a push for cleaner air and a clean environment and overall cleaner planet, and vehicles were and still are an easy target, as we know. Ironically, diesels were touted as being clean, friendly, and low pollutant solution. Especially in the States, manufacturers adverts were littered with things such as clean diesel engine and clean TDI engine. And we know they're far from clean. So when diesel gave broke in September 2015, the world was amazed. News leaked out Volkswagen had somehow cheated on their emissions testing and it spread like wildfire. I remember it all over the papers and like everyone all the guys in work were like oh you like Volkswagens that like, was headline news it was crazy remember all we the, came to Titanic Dubs with the big stickers do you remember the Volkswagen GTNI emission testing, emission team? testing yeah. team yeah. <laughs> um, yeah you have to own things sometimes yeah. don't you so suddenly the kings of the TDI weren't looking so hot so the California Air Resource Board or ironically known as CARB 
We're looking into testing. <laughs> you know. uh, they're they're basically what controls all the 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 laws and cars in California, which then yeah. filters into America and filters into us. They're evil people. Um, they were looking at testing as to why there was differences between the emissions on European cars and US cars. So it turns out there had been like a it was a document leaked with independent testing on European cars, showing that the emissions from the independent tests were a lot higher than what what the manufacturers were saying and the guys in the states were going well why why is ours all fine you know and then they started to test the cars independently and it turned out they weren't wasn't all it seemed yeah so they, they claim that they didn't go attacking the manufacturers the one that looked at this other data and went well we'll prove that wrong kind of thing and then this all came out a test rig was set up in the back of a Volkswagen car to capture the exhaust emissions to see how much of it there was and what it contained before releasing it back into the environment, even allowing for real-world deviations up to five times the amount from the manufacturer's data. What they found was completely off the charts, and NOx levels alone were more than 40 times what they were supposed to be. With data so far out, the team thought the cars had to be faulty and there was something wrong with them, so they sent them to be tested in a lab, which is how the manufacturers test their their vehicles for emissions and for mileage. So when you see that 65 miles per gallon, that, that's on a controlled environment, yeah. on a rolling road, on a set course, it's very, very, like you're never going to see that. The car's put in the rolling road and the car drives a set course, drives under load, idle, as if it's driving you to work, say. Um, and amazingly, the cars were well, well within the, the government guidelines. So they were like going, what's up here? So the spec that a defeat device was being used after a game of cat and mouse and it was basically oh your data's wrong and your equipment's wrong and your testers are wrong uh, all the parties finally came out that it was the case that yes there was a defeat device being used the reason for the difference between the real world data and the test data was that on the rolling road the car's all steering wheel obviously never turns so there's a steering angle sensor and it would recognize that the steering wheel wasn't being turned allowed the car to slip into a different mode which is basically like lower emissions and didn't have to worry about power or trying to save the exhaust or any any sensors kind of thing. And then in the real world, it could sense steering input and it's back to this normal killer Volkswagen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that. Full of rake mode, sir. Yeah. Oh, Maher Feltboy's loving her. So this led to huge buybacks in the US and software updates all over the European models. I don't think we had buybacks here, did we? No. We no. had uh, had to bring your car into the... Like a recall? Yeah. yeah. But I know they, in the give you, States, they give you a goodie bag and went, here, we're not criminals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a pen. No, like in the States, I think a lot of people did very well. You know, they bought a car, even if it was secondhand, they bought this car and got two or three years driving out of it. And suddenly, yeah, they're, there's your full money back again. Yeah. You know, so how could you be bad to that? It has, however, cost Volkswagen upwards of 33 billion euros, which... Is a number when I when I think millions, I can go. Away, I can imagine that. I think that's what uh, Matt Hancock's neighbor got for doing the PPE, isn't it? It probably is. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably all just like that same thirty-three billion circling the globe. <laughs> so, uh, Reynold Nissan CEO Carlos Gosen, he said it'd be difficult for a manufacturer to conceal internally an effort to falsify vehicle emissions data. So he actually said. I don't think you can do something like this hiding in the bushes, basically saying that it wasn't a one-person job by some rogue engineer. Ironically, Reynold would go on to be implemented in the same scandal. So Awkward. Yeah, shouldn't have said too much there. <laughs> as time went on, more and more manufacturers became implemented in similar scandals, such as Fiat, Vauxhall, Opel, obviously Volkswagen, Porsche, and the rest of the Vi group. 
Nissan Renault, as I mentioned, and Mercedes-Benz. Volkswagen, however, are the ones that bore the brunt of the scandal, with them being the first to have really been discovered. And I think a lot of the manufacturers after that were kind of brushed under the table because Volkswagen was the headline at the time. Right, just go for them. Yeah, they were the, the poster child. So after this, the image of diesels was heavily damaged and thus sales declined sharply. Diesel's market share dropped from 52% to just 36 in two years in 2018. All this environmental damage was kind of ironic considering Rudolf Diesel's initial concept of being environmentally friendly, running an engine on fuel which would be grown in a farmer's field. I think Volkswagen uh, helped pay for that scandal by doing three years of lease deals in Gulf R7s, didn't they? It probably did. I get the petals <laughs> back up. And speaking of Rudolf Diesel, what happened to him that night in the ferry back in 1913? Nobody actually really knows. Before leaving that night, he gave his wife a package. That's what she said. <laughs> to be opened a week later. Um, it contained cash for her, documents detailing the state of the family's bankruptcy and everything that pointed towards a likely suicide. There is speculation, however, that Diesel had received some assistance getting overboard that night. The big question was who would have benefited from his death. He was actually on his way to a meeting that night in England for talks with fitness engines to the Royal Navy submarines. German U-boats were running his engines. So there's speculation that the German state had him killed to stop him supplying their enemy with similar mm. technology. The other train of thought is that the big oil corporations and coal corporations were worried as the idea of running on petrol, or sorry, running on peanut oil, their biofuels would ultimately harm their business. Thus, had it any reason to take him out, essentially. Ten days later, his body appeared on the surface of the water. It was so badly decomposed that they decided not to do an autopsy or even take his body on board the boat. They removed his glasses, wallet, pocket knife, and basically let his family identify him from those items and pushed him back out to sea, thus ending the story of Rudolf Diesel. So we got the old uh, Osama Bin Laden burial. <laughs> Just push him out to sea there, mate. Bon voyage. Yep, so that was the end of him. So yes, Diesel's, uh, in this country, Diesel is a, a, a religion. religion. Yeah, yep. and um, I think in, in America, you have the big trucks, it's all Diesels, but the smaller cars, TDI is a, a novelty kind of thing. Yeah. But really, for Europeans, diesel is, is huge. And it really has taken a hit in this last five or six years with the, the scandals that were going on. What For anybody who hasn't watched that... Um, dirty Money. Dirty Money thing. like it's Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, as I say, it's very emotive. And it's like, oh, these people in Volkswagen were building killer cars and they didn't know it. You know, all this stuff. Like, And you're like, oh, shut up. But... Like yeah, it's they wanted to yeah, they it's wanted, very biased to put it that way. Basically, but I think a lot of Netflix are very uh, left wing, yeah. environmentally oh, friend. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you kind of have to go into it, no one. But like, if you watch it though, if you can get past that, the data that they bring to you is, is crazy. And to the point where like, Volkswagen were doing that independent testers test in emissions on monkeys, so they're pumping like monkeys trained to watch TV. We've been pumped in with uh, the gases from a diesel car, which is running on a rolling road mm -hmm. for three or four hours at a mm -hmm. time and then taking blood samples and all. And they actually wanted to do this with humans, but they weren't allowed. So the old habits die hard, it seems, with the Germans. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the things in that documentary is one of the first images on it is Hitler. And I was like, oh, of course, Hitler had to be in that's, it. Like, that's a good reference point to start the program with. Yeah, it's, it's very biased. It's very... Hitler didn't build the diesel instance, so it was all right. He, all his Beatles were petrols. He was a fine man. Yeah. So the viewer will instantly see the most hated man in history and Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, straight away. You know what you're supposed to think. Your friend, the documentary was funded by Peugeot or something. Um, <laughs> oh, probably, yeah. 
in the sand trying to cover their ass. The likes of in the UK, there over in England, you have uh, Darkside Racing, who are big into uh, performance diesels. They have an Arosa with a two liter sixteen valve. I think it's a common rail engine, and I think it's an absolute animal. It's a 9.4 second quarter mile at 150 mile an hour. I think this is the world's fastest diesel, front wheel drive diesel, 460 horsepower. And with nitrous, it has 633 horsepower. So it's it's interesting, like there's a lot of money in that car, but it's interesting to see what can be done as opposed to, as I say here, it's the remap, 80 pound remap we joke about, you know, in the back car park. Even our listener there, Bert. His Mark V, like that's a proper built and it's 300 horsepower. And I think a lot of the guys like the, the diesel brigade in the, in the car parks kind of shit on that because they talk so much about, you know, oh, this thing's 250 horsepower. And then you see it going up the road and it hardly pull the skin off a rice pudding would be the polite way yeah. to put it. And then as we mentioned as well, like Robin's Touareg, the five liter V10 Touareg is mental like the pull power and the drivability i remember we were going to a dub shed meeting one night and he pulled out in front of me onto the motorway and he floored it and it took off like i think you might have been the crado i was in the edition 30 That's what it was, which yeah. is 360 brake and there was nothing in it yeah car. it's it's just mental and the, those are the forgetting about emissions and what they do to the environment those are the good diesels for me you know like the the proper proper daddies so to speak but I just can't get on board with the, the shit talk of the, the lower end stuff. It just bugs me so much. Um, but no, an interesting story, interesting history. There's a lot more to it. You could go into a lot more nerdy stuff. And obviously with the racing, there has been racing from, I think, the 40s or 50s with diesels, but it's been a very much a novelty thing. Mm. But then when you look at Audi doing the Le Mans, that was a novelty thing too. It was one of the most... Showcase exp- type thing. That was it, yeah. yeah. Look, look what RTDIs can do. You know, and I think it was one of the most expensive, like, racing ventures Audi had ever done. And they just, they'd done it for a year or two and just went, nope, that's it. It's it's over. It cost them millions to do it. But I still can't make up my mind about the R8 TDI, whether it be good or bad. I, w- I would like one. I can imagine it going around some boy with a straight through exhaust on it, go up the road and only hear, boo! <laughs> <laughs> the loudest poo in the land. But yes, that's that's it for Yes, thanks very much, Connor. That was really interesting. That's very interesting. Good to yeah. hear the, the history of the derves. Forcing me into topics that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, needs must know that. That's it. Just before we move into our questions then, we'll take a minute to talk about our monthly sponsor, Anakem. We know by now there's been a lack of shows over the past year or so, and despite this, your car cleaning regime should not be neglected. Check your detailing bag and restock it with the latest Anakem detailing products. A locally based company, their team works with leading detailers to both develop and continually refine products to be one of the best. Here's a totally unbiased review from a random source. My name's Lee Maxwell and these products changed my life. I don't think that is a random source. I would question that. It's a suspicious colour. <laughs> so you can have your life changed just like Lee. Anna Kemmer teamed up with us at Relo Podcast to offer you 10% off your orders over £30 for the month of March. So this is going out on the Wednesday, so you're catching the tail end of that, so get on board Be with the folks. Yep. <laughs> Head over to anakem-automotive.com and use code RELO10 at the checkout to have your life changed, potentially. So we actually did order some of the stuff as well. Yeah. I I posted about it, and there's been a lot of people ordering and tagging us in it too, so it's good to see yep. people supporting. Good. Uh, we'll move on to the questions then, shall we? Yep, sounds good. Um, right, 
first we sort of asked for questions stories comments didn't we yeah just our norm yeah so let's crack on first one's from dara underscore f he just says new top gear and try to survive could be good talking points turns out they were yep <laughs> we covered them so thanks dara <laughs> next one then is from jake underscore 195 being the young young generation i missed forums for cars but i feel like owners clubs and facebook are the next best next best thing like most makes and models have a Facebook group for advice, etc. He's right in what he's saying, but if you're of a different vintage like ourselves, um, like we had forums and things like that. The forums were better. Um, I think in today's world, everybody expects like an instant response and instant gratification to talk about. And if you go onto a Facebook page, yes, you will get that. You will get an instant response because everyone has a phone in their pocket with Facebook on it. But the forums were like to archive stuff on it was so much better. Encyclopedia. Yeah, you trying to find something on Facebook? If yeah. you've seen something at a glance or on some of those owners clubs or any of those it's for gone. sale pages <laughs> or whatever, um, yeah, it's gone. It's yeah. Next time your feed refreshes, see trying to find it again? Just forget read. about it. Yeah, the search function's terrible. We're on a forum. You can find it so easy. And even from Google, you just type in the forum name and the topic and it'll bring them up. So while he's writing what he's saying, yes, you will get the answers. It is a bit repetitive when you're on an owner's club and you see the same question come up 10 times in a week. You know, it, you don't have that on a forum. You'd have got banned off a forum for doing that you back would, in the yeah. day. Instant ban. If you don't use the search function, don't read the, the rules and the FAQs and you do something, you'd have just been booted. It was the old gif in, <laughs> in before the lock. <laughs> the moderators are going to get you. Yep. Thanks, Jake. The next question then is... Do, do, do. James Doherty, 95. Loving the podcast. Thanks very much, James. Thank you. Thank you. Dream garage, money, no object. Currently have my wide body S4. Yes, young James got very lucky there before lockdown, I think. Right. He won his wide body S4. It's Julian Liz's old one. Oh, shit, yeah. He won it on, I think it was Viagra Recycle. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Anton, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a nice place. He's got a pretty tidy car now. Um, so, dream car, money, no object. I think mm. we've talked about this before and I'm not mine, into those high end But cars. mine changes every time because I think of something else or and I, as you know yeah I'm not those high end kind of things apart from I'm going to use the same answer that I've used before uh, an F40 black the gas monkey one Well that's probably that a, one. Good, a good choice yeah <laughs> That's my, one of my two That's so good What would you be? It'd be an F40 or it'd be a GTRS of some description I would probably GTRS or I would be looking something like 30 Mark 3s or something stupid like. Um, Quantity over yeah. quality, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, you can only pick one. Pick one, one Mark 3. Um, but this is a dream You boy. already have three. I want another one. Um, <laughs> I see the likes of driving a Lamborghini. I know I've said Ferrari, but most of that stuff you drive about, I'd feel like a twat. Yeah, probably. Yeah. They'll have seen that. Probably, probably, you'll probably see me driving a Mark 3 and look at that twat. <laughs> it's probably no different. I don't know what I would go for. Seeing you in an RS. An NSX. That's what you would pick. Oh, an NSX. Yeah. yeah cool. As much as I don't like my partner answering for me, yes, we'll go with NSX. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we haven't asked permission. Do I like this? <laughs> what sort of money are they now? Oh, I They're would God imagine now, like, yeah. 70 grand kind of thing. Probably um, more. I have a friend of ours who listens. I don't know if he won't be saying it, so I'll not mention his name. His actual plan is to end up owning one in the next few years. Like, and he's 
he's pushing towards it so mm. hopefully he can then hopefully we can go and visit and get a spin on it yep <laughs> but yeah nsx i keep forgetting about those i do like an nsx cool uh moving on to jack lee underscore mark two if you unfortunately had to own stroke drive a felty yoke which one would you pick and why six full oj that's what i would just do. go for it yeah just embrace it kingfisher blue phase one 106 no sorry 306 sorry phase one. Oh yeah that's oh, i like, like the rounder phase two so do i but kingfisher blue is the color in that oh that's true do you not that's know true. your d turbos i oh, know sorry <laughs> i don't know no i don't even know why i know that i think it's working with the young ones <laughs> somebody tell you that color didn't probably <laughs> i felt a yoke i'd like a white one because then the the rake on the back shows up even more that's what you want you're all uh, about this lee there's a few kicking around cumber here and i've grown to like them it's the big five series. Oh, oh no, I don't no. like those at all. Oh, Nigel, oh, yeah. they're so bad. They, they, those and the equivalent C class of that era are the new yeah. Bora. Yeah, uh, I probably should add something in here because a lot of American listeners, a lot of English listeners too, that might not know what Felspec is. But there's a Google it. Yeah, Google it's probably <laughs> the best way to look at it. But I no, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast. I think it was we? Derek Cheshire sort of brought up a few highlight points of what de- defines it. Yeah, it's... When uh, the factors... Reverse rake. It depends on the year. Like, your early stuff... It's diesel. It's diesel. agri-spec. Yeah. In inverted commas. that just throws black smoke out the back. Yeah. Rake. CB aerial. Reverse rake. Or as we call it, ass down. Ass down. No springs in the back. Some stupid sticker in the back window yeah. referring to... Huge sunstrip, usually Van Aken. Or a made-up tuning company. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it baffles me. Like, yeah. Just lost half our listenership. We Sorry, have. guys. It's good. <laughs> well, they can take The it. funny thing was, um, fluff that we used to knock around with and go to shows and stuff with used to be I don't think it is anymore but it used to be if you googled felt spec his car was the first one that came up in the image Fresh results it was a, a, a bagged F4 <laughs> which really wasn't felt spec it wasn't apart from the mud flaps I always thought they were a bit specky but the, the, the kind of I era a reverse my decision on the 5 series because I just remembered the uh, an A4 with B- the full quattro kit the B6 uh, yeah yeah they're, they're, see now when you see those clean they're a nice looking car but they got such a bad reputation cars are it was flat out selling kits for them back in the day uh, yeah. flat out um, it was a trainers the guy who owns trainers his brother was doing them Martin Martin Trainer Motors I think it was um, but like it used to start up with French diesels back in the day and it was like the torsion bars in the back just wound down fully cut springs and usually ropey then you get into your Volkswagen stuff in the 2000s. Boris uh, was the big one. Yeah. And Mark IV Golfs. It kind of has moved on to the, the 5 Series and the C-Classes and things like that. So, yeah, Google Feltspec if you want an education, folks. Or drop me a message and I'll send you photos. <laughs> Jump in. My it's all hands. there. <laughs> right. James Smith, 3194, says, Which is better as a Sunday driving car, a Mark III VR6 Golf or a Mark IV R32? Over to you, Connor. I'd say it's probably Lee's one. It's uh, we talked about this. It's a tough choice, but Mark Four R Thirty Two. That's a Sunday car. You want the a Sunday car is not a, It's engaging driving. To me, it depends what you're used to. I think we said this. Lee was if you're coming from a background where you're just getting into older cars, the VR Six might be a bit too much for you. But if you're like ourselves, who have drove ship boxes for years. A VR6 is probably a decent, like the Mark III is probably a decent enough car. 
you know, the where for people in the more modern or more money cars would probably find the Mark IV a wee bit more agricultural, you know, that way. They both kind of do the same thing. Noises. They're both, yeah, <laughs> they both they make nice noises. I love drink fuel. The 12 valve. Yeah. VR6. However, as an overall package, a Mark IV. it's the R32. A decatted, properly sorted R32 is hard to beat on the on the And the problem is they're both going up in money. Yeah. But it's it's a hard, they're pretty much the same car, essentially. Like. <laughs> I would take either for a rip. Yeah. Uh, I think the Mark III would probably be more engaged in drive. Yeah, it was the Mark IV drive would be a wee bit more... Planted. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a lot safer in the Mark IV, but like that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't like if it's a, if it's a question of he was looking at either. I wouldn't be afraid to go with either as long as you've got a welder for both. Um, Ronan underscore is twenty one. We actually shared some of his rolling road rolling road footage. Yes, there. lots of flames. He's back in a chin again after dealing the Mark II for a week. I can confirm it is not waterproof, but that step two <laughs> is addictive. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so this one here is FF Metalworks. That's Dennis. So he has quite a good one actually. And he says, pick one automotive superpower. Automatically apply brakes to someone's car. Automatically apply gas to someone's car. Or automatically set off the steering wheel airbag in someone's car. <laughs> I'm going with the airbag. It's like a punch to the face. It is, yeah. You want someone's being an absolute idiot and you just go, boof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah. It's pretty much Lee, what are you? I'm gonna go gas because somebody's in front of you and they won't get out the fuck out of the way. <laughs> just be like, it. <laughs> just depends what your thing is, really. Yeah. Or apply the brakes and go out around them. Yeah. The steering wheel, the steering wheel airbags solves all problems because when it goes off, they get out of your road, they crash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you ever been in a car where the airbag goes off? Yes. Yeah. You don't forget it. No, definitely not. Yeah. Cheers, uh, Dennis. I had a good laugh a, at that, that one. Nice yeah. <laughs> Right, Pete, Brickfab underscore, how many flumps can Connor fit in his mouth at one time? You have, you have previous experience with Pete about this, do you? Um, wasn't flumps. <laughs> I don't, I, say, I can't say I've ever done that. We probably should do that in the next episode, bring a bag of flumps and see what we can make for great listening. <laughs> Just don't choke. <laughs> We've got life insurance, it's okay. Ah. You do well. David underscore Jack underscore Hill. He was on our lockdown logs not so long ago. It was a great polo. Uh, he just, uh, the question page you put up a 306, didn't you? I did, yes. So we've got a lot of comments, busy, and it's just, she's no D-Turbo, sir. And it calls you accent, because he has. Yeah. I like it. So thanks for that, David. And then Ryan Cudlip says, after the IS200, is the 306 going to be the next appreciating felt spec classic? I'm actually surprised the 306 isn't. Like, I thought it would have went before the IS200, considering they're older. It is the OG. It is the classic already, because I'm starting to see people now opening garages on social media and showing completely original or even restored slightly 306s in their garage. They'd be hard got. You know, so not felt spec, but I, yeah. just original. as it should have been. I've seen a few photos of people sharing them. Um, Funny you say that. We saw a really super duper clean Bora. On the road. We did, yeah. Like just standard, standard. silver, just kind of older fella driving it. Just <laughs> all right there. Yeah. Um. Next one then is Cecil I. Patrick. Did I say that right? Possibly. 
Yeah. I haven't seen Patrick in years because he lives in the States now. Uh, Feldspec is going to come back in 30 years and we all want a D-Turbo on Vulcans. Sir, hey. There's another Tyrone man messaging him. <laughs> well, he is a big Peugeot man. He, he had is. the demo one, didn't he? He still has the demo yeah, one. Have you seen it? It yeah. is cool. Yeah. So there's a man that likes proper 306s. Yeah. Um, next one then, S14 OCP. Black Reek or White Reek? Well, Black Reek <laughs> is overfueling. White Reek is head gaskets. Yeah, so or pistons. Or pistons, yes. So we'll stick uh, with black. black, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's it. We're done. Cool. Thanks very much, guys. Yep, yeah, absolutely. More questions. We always appreciate the, the content. It's good fun. Yep. There's a lot of episodes like this, especially, where we don't need it, but it's good to hear from people and keep in touch, especially in these... Uh, Wonderful times. times. Yeah. That's why we're doing the lockdown logs too. It gets people yeah, get some talking. involved, engaged, all that sort of carry on. Yeah, and we'll be doing one tonight, as I say, which will be when you guys are listening to this a few days, three days beforehand. So check it out. Cool. Let's bring her home, man. I think we've said everything that I normally say in the wrap up, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll leave it there for this week. Um, don't already i assume most of you probably do by now i hope so um, but if you don't follow us on instagram it's at reload podcast my personal account is at maxwell house 46 i'm at Vito boy and i'm at connor mccann cheers everybody see you soon bye bye, bye. bye.